my friends, the great experiment. Strange new world. Head trick, trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick, trick. Two people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star trick, trick. The greatest trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. I want to talk about something during the Marin this episode. Oh, God. My fucking social anxiety just went absolutely through the roof. Now, you know all about this because we haven't had a chance to talk about the Paramount Plus thing and the removal of Prodigy from the service and so forth. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit offline. But not, right. not on the show. I would never speak for both of us under any other circumstances, but I feel pretty confident in saying for us both that we're pretty disappointed in that decision. Yeah. Both because we like the show and we like the people who make it. And I am mildly optimistic because of the optimism of those creators in what could possibly happen next at the time of this recording. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a change.org petition going around to save the show. Do change.org petitions do anything ever? I feel like there have been a couple of shows that have been snatched back from the brink by big fan outcries, but yeah. if I had to like guess about the future, my guess is that it's not Paramount Plus that would save it. It would be no, some other no. network, but you know, I think a big enough outcry maybe does make a group of executives worrying about the bottom line change their mind about something like this so you know like the way animation works is that it takes forever to make animated shows so there is a season two of that show and i really hope we get to see it someday it definitely has a value it has more value than sitting up on a fucking shelf yeah i mean if you're feeling powerless about yet another machine grinding up and throwing away something that you love. Aaron Waltke did put out some thoughts on Twitter about like what you can do in the aftermath of all this. And I wondered uh, if you wanted to hear those, Ben. Sure. I think he may have put this on Mastodon as well, but we should share it here. Here's what Waltke has said. Using... Star Trek Prodigy and Save Star Trek Prodigy hashtags are helpful and good. And you should use them. You should also buy all the stuff. Like, this is the sad consequence of this. Like, decisions involving money often respect money spent in the aftermath. Right. If you love Prodigy and you have little kids around, physical media is a great way to let the people know that there is money to be lost in a decision like this. There's DVDs and toys and video games and stuff. All that's out there. All that really helps. Consume the thing that you love and pay for it if you can is, you know, not just a message for now, but maybe a message for always because you just never know when folks at a network are going to uh, make a decision for you, you know? Yeah. It's a bummer. I'm bummed. It's sad, but this isn't a sad show. We're a happy show. We like making jokes and having a good time. So we're not going to dwell on the sadness of it. No. If the last episode of Prodigy that we watch is the last that ever comes to light, I want to congratulate all of the talented folks that worked on that show. I thought 
out of a pretty weird mix of ingredients, they made something that was really special. I agree. What a great note to end on. And, uh, you know, not having to see Rock Talk's mouth one more time, also something that we can all take comfort in. I read a lot of press about the end of Prodigy, and no one was celebrating that aspect. (laughs) I will remain the only champion of that great big upside. (laughs) Hey, whoever decides to pick up Star Trek Prodigy, and I'm confident someone will, I think before you go to air, maybe you can do something about that mouth. Yeah, Yeah, and also, you know... If there's a couple of Star Trek podcasters you've ever wanted to see blown out of an airlock in a scene, I'm sure you'll have enough time to do some, you know, rewrites and make adjustments to season two before you start putting it out. Just saying. And if you're involved at all in this decision and uh, you want to spill some tea, you want to hurl some tea all around, (laughs) love to be the location for that kind of conversation. Oh, yeah. Shoot your ropes of tea all over us. Like that quite a bit. <laughs> well, good luck with choosing Showtime in the divorce. I'm sure, it'll be fine over there at Paramount. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Adam, do you want to get into the episode of Strange New Worlds that we came to talk about today? There is so much Strange New Worlds this episode. A full hour. Yeah. Strange New Worlds for the full hour. <laughs> oh, we better start, Ben. It's season two, episode five, Charades. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Self-discovery. The unknown. We get a chapel's log right off the top, and the ship is on its way to the system of Vulcan to survey one of the moons there. This is a moon where an ancient civilization had lived, and then it vanished. Yeah, the Karkovians. But all that remains of them is an energy anomaly. And some ruins. And some ruins. This seems like something that the Vulcans would do for themselves. They love scanning for life forms, you know? Why let someone else scan your moon when you can do it yourself? I mean, some people enjoy having their moon scanned. Maybe that's how the Vulcans get down, you know? Yeah, yeah maybe so. I mean, that would surprise me, given... The tension we experienced this episode. (laughs) So the captain has decided that this is a pretty light lift mission-wise, and the crew could use some downtime, so they're doing this one at impulse. They're on a slow cruise, and folks have a little bit of extra time on their hands to get into hijinks. I do not like hijinks. This is in keeping with Pike's lovemaking technique, right? He's not hitting it. He's a... Slowly foreplaying it. Mm, yeah. This one, right? The anticipation is as delightful as the act itself. <laughs> it's so true. Everyone loves downtime. And I guess everyone on this ship enjoys fight training. Yeah. Because this is, uh, I don't know, second scene of a different character hitting the heavy bag in there. No kidding. I suppose you have to know how to fight if you're in Starfleet. Like, this isn't just a town full of people learning how to fight coincidentally. Like, they all need to know how to throw down. Yeah. If Gorns come on the ship, you got to punch that motherfucker. Yeah. So Nurse Chapel is getting ready to 
do her interview for this archaeological medicine fellowship that's actually sponsored by the Vulcan Science Academy. So she's here in system getting ready for it. And this is a project she's doing with a whole bunch of people. Everybody's kind of pitching in to help Nurse Chapel memorize all the stuff she needs to know to study the medicines of ancient civilizations, I guess. This is an episode that I thought was just delightfully edited the whole way through. The way the storytelling baton is passed throughout the different scenes. Yeah. The bookend quality to those scenes. The sneaky cuts that they make, you know, through bulkheads and stuff. This is one of those scenes that is really an example of that. Loved it. It's really zesty editing. And I also really liked the filmmaking. Like, you know, this is all kind of the backdrop of a situation that is building over the course of this opening sequence, reestablishing that she and Spock are in a little bit of an awkward place interpersonally. And like, there's that shot in the elevator where he gets on board and she's on the other side of Mbenga. And there's just like really beautiful close-ups in that scene it almost was like framed like a Wes Anderson film the kind of like using symmetry to bring out certain qualities in the shot and I loved it (laughs) I was having so much fun watching the beginning of this episode Mbenga's react here at the end of that ride is also so great and like where they choose to make that cut is like (laughs) mid-turn Like, you know there's a scene after this that we don't get to see between them, and that's great. Yeah. So we toss over to a log by Spock. It's not only Nurse Chapel making logs this episode. No, and Spock says some interesting things about the therapies that Mbenga has suggested for Spock, which makes me all the more curious about his reaction to experiencing those up close, like the consequences of them, I mean. Like, for Mbenga to see his weirdness on display and to know that he's had a role in in their creation (laughs) has got to make attention in him. Yeah. But the headline is that he's fully suppressed all his emotions. Yeah. And he's fully suppressed his sense of smell also in Pike's quarters where he's dabbled in some cooking lessons from him. And... uh, He can neither smell the food nor the humans around. So what's the deal with Plomique soup then? How piquant is it? You know? I guess it was piquant because Neelix thought it was too bland. So is Vulcan food all super bland? But when I think about why it would be bland, I guess it's like a break for a Vulcan to not suppress feelings or sensations about the thing they're consuming. Yeah. Oh, this is a break. I'm having the most boring soup ever. (laughs) I don't have to have a feeling about this at all. You don't have to do the nasal suppressant if you live on Vulcan among only Vulcans, right? Right. But if a human like walks in and is like, oh man, my spaceship broke down. Hey, do you guys have a phone I could use? Is everybody in the room like, oh, oh God. It's got to go both ways though, right? Like- If humans smell unusual to Vulcans, Vulcans and Vulcan the place must smell unusual to them. How could it not? Unless it smells like barbecue or something and they're like, ah, this smells great. 
it's not possible that Vulcan smells like nothing, right? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, a lot of unanswered questions, W slash R slash T, the sense of smell in this episode, and yeah. just how much is being sacrificed by Vulcans that live among humans. All I can say is, you're missing the good stuff here. So, turns out, Spock's going to have to do this engagement ritual. He gets a call from T'Pring, and she's uh, like, hey, you know, stuff with my parents is not going great right now, and your future mother-in-law is really riding my ass. So, if we could do this uh, engagement celebration dinner ASAP, that would really help me out a lot. And Spock is uh, more than happy to oblige, except for not psyched about the you know rushing into the engagement dinner with this mother-in-law who is a great source of stress for his betrothed yeah i mean he's so stressed that he's kind of trailing off <laughs> mid-meeting with pike he's, he's not fully engaged with his work in an unusual way and pike notices yeah pike and spock have a pretty good relationship like where they're able to talk about work and the other stuff and spock trusts him spock is doing his best to reassure pike that like this distraction of the uh engagement ritual that's coming up is just a momentary thing that's been on his mind but it's not going to affect the mission and the mission that they are discussing is this close flyby in a shuttlecraft of the ruins of the Karkovian civilization. So this is a great timing for Pike to say like, hey, a little staffing change on the mission. You're going to be going with Nurse Chapel. And this contradicts what I said before about Spock and Pike being close, close <laughs> enough to talk about personal shit, because clearly either Spock has not disclosed this to him or Pike's fucking with him. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like they're not as close as friends, not as close as family. Right. But Nurse Chapel will sit in that chair next to Spock, and they will go on that mission. Yeah, that chair is shotgun on the <laughs> shuttle. <laughs> Massively awkward, and they're pretty silent initially, but then the ice breaks when they start talking about work, and that seems to be an easy topic for both of them to keep the ball in the air with. This anomaly in question is a rupture in space-time, and it didn't seem like they had like really made any special preparations for flying a shuttle past an anomaly. Like They're like, oh, shit, the anomaly that we knew about way ahead of time is sucking us in and potentially causing great damage to our shuttle and birdies. <laughs> when the shuttle approaches the edge of this hole, or the event horizon, you might call it, I should call it that. <laughs> and immediately gouge out their eyeballs before going in. Yeah, who can repair them? <laughs> I watched this scene a bunch of times because I was trying to figure out if they thought they were going to die. Because there's like that glance uh -huh. at each other. Like, I wondered to what extent did they believe they were going to just go through a thing and appear on the other side and that was the danger or if they thought they were going to die in the process? Because there's a tragedy in the idea of them thinking they were going to die and they're still not going to say anything to each other. Like to die in that kind of silence? That is true. Oh, 
I thought about that a lot. I interpreted that as a wordless, like, thank God we'll be in a different part of space time and we can fuck and it won't count as cheating. That's right. Yeah. Space time hall pass. That's where their heads were? Yeah, space-time hall pass is the new greatest track rule, right? Like, okay. if, if it's not you're in a different time zone, it's you're in a different space-time continuum, it's fine. This is why I am selling condoms made out of chronometric particles. <laughs> because when you're strapped up and, uh, and the D is just in a totally different universe... Mm. <laughs> That's not cheating. <laughs> Time travel. Yeah, not as satisfying for the other person in that scenario. No, that's right, because once you roll it down, that D is gone. Yeah, does, that, does it just look like a coin? <laughs> that's got to be so disappointing. Like, <laughs> like, to use the, like, middle school sex ed class imagery like when you roll it down the banana Mm -hmm. the banana disappears and the condom just like like (laughs) it just sits empty (laughs) though the condom does not inflate the banana is breathing (laughs) the bananas just disappeared (laughs) no one's gonna be able to be satisfied by that a pocket dimension is a sector of space-time that is not connected to our present reality. You may belong to a religion where pocket dimensions do not count as virginity locks. This is referred to by the Mormons as God's blind spot. <laughs> the greatest trek is yet to come. So, uh, get all up in the guts of this anomaly... And it's like a fade to white kind of situation. And then we are in a POV of Spock on a bio bed in Six Bay, waking up, looking at Pike Mbenga and Nurse Chapel. They are looking down at him with great concern. And he is looking up at them, wondering what happened in this crash. Very angelic are Pike Mbenga and Chapel above Spock's bedside. I was really impressed by, like, these three actors are so fucking great looking that you can shoot them from this, like, super low angle and they all still look absolutely great. You're so right about that. How unfair is that? (laughs) Like, one out of three people shot from below should look pretty mid. (laughs) (laughs) Not these three. (laughs) It's nuts. Yeah. Next time we have uh, Anson Mount on the show, I want to ask him about, like, how, like, what do you do to look that good from below? I think you'd be very disappointed in the answer and how impossible it would be for either of us. Yeah, you can't, you can't get here from there. <laughs> would be his answer. <laughs> Spock's got a great new haircut. And that's a pretty nice haircut. And great new ears. Yeah. Yeah, he had his ears done by the aliens, and he's suddenly human, Adam. Sure is. He has a much better grasp of English profanity than he's ever had before either, because this is another great edit in the middle. We cut right into theme. Yeah, it was good. It was good. I wish they'd used the phrase suddenly human and given him a slick back haircut just to <laughs> to really underline that, but... He's not a piece of shit anymore, Ben. <laughs> so uh, Una and Laan do some like crime scene investigating on the shuttle. 
which has been like tuned and detailed, like it's in great shape. They find a little gadget resting on a one of the seats waiting for them, and they refer to this thing as a calling card. Good calling. That's bone. When they take it up to Ensign Uhura, she uses it to blow in a FaceTime call to whoever fixed up the shuttle and fixed up Nurse Chapel and Spock. I love how up for this the bridge crew is. Like, the pace of play here is so fast. Like, they recognize it's a calling card. They understand they have the ability to communicate with these people. Pike's like, I don't have anything else going on. Let's go ahead and do it. (laughs) So they call up these people on FaceTime, and it's yellow. Yeah, yellow is hotboxing the fuck out of the room she is in. We get we don't get to actually see yellow's face because there's so much smoke in there. Yeah. But uh yellow is of Kirkov and yellow kind of gives like robot on the other end of a customer service hotline kind of answers to their questions and has is very repetitive. But what we come to understand is that the Kirkovians found the ruined shuttle after it ran afoul of this, uh, what they call it, it's like a tunnel, right? Like a transport tunnel is what the Uh anomaly is. They did their best to fix everything up and send it back in one piece. But, you know, one of the crew members had two conflicting sets of instructions in his glove compartment. So they picked the one that matched the other member of the away team. And uh, left out all that Vulcan DNA crap. If you don't know anything about Vulcans and humans, and you're just trying to fix a thing that's broken, that showed up on your doorstep or whatever, like, everything kind of makes sense. Yeah. It's explained in that tight vernacular that the Kirkorians speak in. And when Yellow hangs up on them, it seems like, it's not over. Like these are this is a type of being that you could have another conversation with. It doesn't seem like remediation is final. Right. But like when you get the robot on a customer service call, it's very hard to like escalate, you know. Like I, I want to talk yeah. to a robot that has more authority to help me with this is like not a question you can ask. How did no one press zero during this <laughs> FaceTime call? Like <laughs> the idea that they just get hung up on is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea that they never try calling again also is very silly. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Thanks are not required. No further contact is necessary. But uh, yeah, they talked to Spock about like, hey, so here's what happened. How feel you? And uh, Spock feels. This is just an enormous Ethan Peck episode on every level. It's not just that he's acting human, but the way he acts human. And in the course of such a compact amount of time, scene to scene, it made me feel crazy to watch him. Yeah. In a very effective way. Yeah, because there's lots of stuff that is still super Spocky about him. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's the habit of being Spock, not the essence of being Spock that he's bringing to it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I think that um, Tim Russ set a high bar the couple of times that he played a Vulcan who was stripped of his Vulcanness in Voyager. And I think uh, Ethan Peck did a great job following in those footsteps. 
this version of Spock is such an interesting reminder about how it isn't just human emotion, but the things that trigger human emotions that have got to be unusual for him. Like the idea of hunger or fatigue or frustration. It's not just like the pictures outside of a public bathroom in an airport going like, how clean am I? Go from like smiley, straight face and frown. It's like (laughs) a fully realized spectrum of consequences and feelings involved. And we're made to understand that in a very efficient amount of time beginning in this scene. Yeah, like even him making a joke in this scene sort of feels part and parcel of that. Like the urge to make a joke is an emotional urge and the effect of a joke is an emotion. In a way that like, I think we all know that intrinsically from being human beings, but like to see someone grapple with that as a character was really interesting and fun. I feel grateful that you're trying to help me. Seriously, it's so nice of you. He can smell now. He smells bacon. And he's hungry, which means he overeats bacon. Yeah. He overdrinks drinks. I mean, this was another kind of montage cutting between scenes with the same character sequence, a lot like Nurse Chapel's log at the beginning of the episode. And it's such a funny idea of how you can kind of celebrate the highs and lows of being human with a character who isn't used to it. It's also an example of a show that isn't a comedy editing for comedy very deftly. Yeah. This is great. Yeah, it was good. It is brought up that he is feeling all of these feelings in a way not dissimilar to a teenager feeling all of their new feelings for the first time. Uh, This is something that Laon kind of talks him through. I feel like they ring the Spock is acting like a a petulant teen bell a few times throughout this episode. Yeah, if that's the starting place where you're developing this character, it seems like that could be a good place to start if you're him. Yeah. And now I'm embarrassed. So meanwhile, Nurse Chapel is having a terrible time because she is racked with survivor's guilt for having come away from whatever this very vaguely described shuttle accident was totally unscathed. They still don't really know what happened to them. So she's feeling really bad about the whole thing. And it seems that it is also complicated by the feelings that she has for Spock and the fact that he is not really the guy that she has those feelings for anymore. And also the fact that she is like under a ton of stress studying for this application she's trying to do. It's hard working with your friends. And that's what this is, right? She's got a job to do, but she's also got a job to do for her bud. Yeah. And possible romantic interests. So this has got her all scrambled up. And I've got to believe that showing up late to this interview with the Vulcan is... A terrible move, a career-limiting move. And when you see the interview, it's as bad as you might think it'll go. It's real bad. No way you get this job if you show up late to the thing, right? I mean, you got to believe that this Vulcan person is going to be very particular about the requirements. I don't want to defend him because I like Chapel more than just about every character on the show, but like... 
you got to know that like field work being a substitute for these very specific expectations, like that's not going to work. You got to get in the system first to change it, not try to change it before even getting in there. Hmm. Yeah, I guess so. I didn't know what the job requirements were. and It didn't seem like they made it that clear to her either. It seemed like maybe there was like more of a cultural misunderstanding situation going on with that. I think you're right about that because like the main thrust of the failure in Chapel's expectations is that the instructor was like, we not only have things to say, but ways to say them. Right. And you're not saying them right. Well, yeah. And like she calls him Mr. Dumbass all through the interview. And that's just another example of her not saying things right. The name is Dumas. What's going to make this bad feeling better afterwards. You've just blown the interview. You really wanted it. You're professionally disappointed. In the corridor, Spock finds Nurse Chapel and gives her a hug. And Spock's funny here. He's real funny. Good job by Spock. That's an interesting puzzle, especially I feel like you go through in adolescence, like, when is a hug something somebody wants and I never felt like I knew so I but I, I remember it being like a thing and like in in high school you know like yeah sometimes you'll get a hug from someone and be like oh my god that was really nice mm-hmm. you know yeah that's sweet yeah Vulcans can be such jerks this is the moment in the episode I started to recognize what kind of Star Trek episode this is going to be because Star Trek does this all the time A character you love has been changed. And they start to demonstrate behaviors that you actually like better than the original flavor. And you're like, are they going to murder this guy at the end and then never talk about it? Each of you is going to have to live with this. Because Spock's pretty likable here, and he does many likable things throughout the episode. This was the creeping thought in the back of my mind, starting pretty much here. The back of his head was not creeping, though, so... No, yeah. <laughs> we need to score a lot of laughs fast. Licensed businessmen. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed, and one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking 
all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth, wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Hi, Adam Pranica here for Podshop.biz, the easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast with embarrassment that lasts. Podshop.biz is not a cult, and it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with Podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags from other websites can damage your mood, but not with Podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone. Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. At podshop.biz, you can choose from the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, this old enterprise, logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at podshop.biz. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org.
Spock's mama beams aboard. Mia Kirshner's back. Yeah. How about that? Love her. Never totally feel comfortable with her being cast as his mother. She does not look old enough. Right. Yeah. I have no idea how old Mia Kirshner is, but just based on the way she and Ethan Peck look, I'm like, how, like they could play brother and sister. It's true. Spock's beanie better be on the fucking Star Trek merchandise page at once after this. It's a great beanie. It's a solid beanie. It kind of feels like it's there to be on the Star Trek merch website, though, right? Yeah. I want it. It's not silly. It's regulation. Pike has a great sequence here because Pike helps cover for the wearing of the beanie, and then Pike attempts to cover for the idea that this special dinner isn't a good idea to be having anymore <laughs> to a, a very different amount of success, I would say. Yeah. Pike is with those. It seems like Amanda Grayson is really desperate to make sure stuff goes well with Topring's family because she is just as aware of what a tricky situation Topring is in as anyone else. I did think it was a little bit presumptive of her to just like arrange that the Vishal ritual would take place on the entrepreneur without actually asking the captain or anyone if that was cool. I thought so too. You remember when you were like auditioning places to do a rehearsal dinner before your wedding and like you're coming up with your different ideas based on cost and comfort and location and so forth. Sure. Say you had a great location picked out. Checks... (laughs) Almost all the boxes, but the one box that isn't checked, it smells like human butt. (laughs) This is the decision (laughs) that has been made here. Yeah. That smells like ass. I don't remember if we've mentioned it, but the details of Spock's injuries have not been transmitted to to Pring or anyone on Vulcan, but the fact that he has been injured has. So the the idea is that they can do this on the ship and that way Spock won't have to travel while he's recovering from whatever it was that happened to him in the shuttle accident. The risks are so high. The wedding is off if this special dinner doesn't go according to plan. Yeah. That seems like too much. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) It's not just that it'll be awkward or they won't get along. It's just over with. That's harsh. For people as logical as they are, the Vulcans really do cue to ritual in this really intense way. Yeah. I feel like there's more tension in that than Star Trek usually explores, you know? Like, I think so too, yeah. I think ritual is really important, but I've never heard a Vulcan character talk at length about why. What these characters need to talk about is how they're going to get human Spock through this. And in Pike's quarters, he and Amanda Grayson and Spock discuss if they are to attempt this, how it's going to work. Like, can we teach Spock to lie? That's basically what they got to do in order to have him pass as a Vulcan. And first they're going to fit him for ears. Yeah. Amanda's like, hey, I did you wrong as a parent all those years ago, not teaching you about your human side. So this is going to be a crash course. You're going to trick Topring's parents into thinking you're still Vulcan. And uh, I'm going to teach you how to do it. You'd think that the lying lessons would be the very first class, 
But no, it's about the ceremony, mostly, and his ears, and his speech patterns. Flatter, more robotic. I am Vulcan. I love logic. I guess it all qualifies as a lie now that I think about it. Like, ears are a lie. Holding scalding teapot is a lie. Speaking in a pattern that isn't yours is a lie. It has a lot of the same energy as in a con man movie, like the team practicing the con, you know? Yeah. He's got to pick up this big pot of tea that will burn a human, but would be perfectly cool to a Vulcan to pick up. He's going to have to endure the hourglass of shame in which, as a ritual, they set a timer and the parents of the betrothed couple get to tell them how disappointing they are to them. I feel like like that's actually a ritual I can really get behind. Just confine all of that shit to one one minute session. You, know? you and I are in total agreement about this. I feel like to many, many people, the very concept would be horrifying. But if you could just rip off that band-aid yeah. and just like concentrate your fire on one target <laughs> for one minute. And then have it be done and forgiven. Yeah. And like, if any of that creeps back in, be like, no, you had your minute. You cannot do this now. Yeah. Hourglass. Look at it. Finally, there's the mind meld. And Spock's inability to do this while not having any facial expressions is as difficult as any of the other challenges. You look constipated. This has got Amanda Grayson ready to quit. It just doesn't seem like it's going to work. But is the medicine going to work? Doesn't seem that way either. No. Uh, Nurse Chapel has been working really hard on figuring out a way to fix Spock. And uh, she gives up on it and now would like to go to the anomaly and ask the Karkovians for help. She's like, these are the people that did this. They're going to know how to undo this. So who are Chapel's ride or dies? It's... Ortegas and Uhura. Yeah. And they are ready to fly into that hurl with her. Or Even though it's uh, off the record and without permission. Pretty fun gang to pile into a shuttlecraft and go do something rouge. They're the right gang, though, right? You want the ship's communicator to be able to deal with this automated customer service person. <laughs> Exactly. They're going to know. Like, you know, the difference between me calling an airline and my wife calling an airline. She's going to get some shit done, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So we cut to the transporter room where Spock stands now in Vulcan ears, even though he's human. Yeah. He's been studying his book, The Actor Prepares by (laughs) Spockoslavsky. There are no small Vulcans. There are only small ears. (laughs) To bring beams aboard and uh, is not ready to do Vulcan formalities. She's so fucking wrung out from spending a couple of days with T'Pril, her mom, that uh, she just wants to get to Spock's quarters and chill the fuck out. And as they're walking, Spock is supposed to... Let her in on the thing. I'm actually human right now, and I'm going to be trying to trick your parents. But she is unloading all of this stuff that she's clearly stressed about. How often does this happen to you? There is something so familiar about this. 
Oh, yeah. Like, Spock has an angle. He wants to confide in a special person, but, like, the other person's personal drama is such that, like, who'd want to put another helping on top of that? This is his most human-like quality is this moment and the perception of it yeah i don't want to dump bad news on someone that's already going through something is yeah. extremely relatable yeah so you can see him kind of decide not to tell her based on the like energy that she's bringing to the situation you also understand how the show chooses not to do that either because we've gotten an episode where they've been conspiratorial about a hijinks thing and as much as I wanted that, and I really wanted that, like, <laughs> I'm cool with the episode deciding to go in a different direction there for tension reasons. Yeah, I was too. And that we are in agreement. People that are not worried about saying what they're thinking out loud are Tapril and her husband who walk into Pike's quarters and immediately start complaining about the smell. Do I smell more human? Pril's husband has got this vibe where, like, I don't know how many sets of parents you've ever met in your dating life, but I find that, like, over the course of my life, there is often one of the two parents I'm confident I can get along with. Uh -huh. And it's rarely ever both, and it's rarely <laughs> ever neither. And this guy, this guy wants to make it work. Yeah. He wants to eat the food. He wants to be complimentary of the food. But he also doesn't want to catch those hands from Tapril later. So he is going along to get along a lot. How much did you expect an off to the side Tapril's husband and Spot conversation to go like Tapril's husband being like, you got to get out of this. Man. <laughs> you don't want to end up like me. <laughs> Save yourself. I had a full head of hair like you at the beginning of this marriage. <laughs> Look at me now. Look, when my wife's back is turned, I'm going to go to fucking town on these canapes. <laughs> They're the only joy I have in my life. I don't know why we never thought to put salt in them on our planet. <laughs> He's so happy, like as happy as a Vulcan can be in this yeah, scene. Yeah. It's great. Oh, these are delicious. Canopies in my ass. That's a Ritz cracker and chopped liver. And good for Pike, like being the field promoted chef for this. You can tell he's enjoying it. And crucially, it gives his character a reason to be in the room because I think we really need that. We need Pike reacts. Yeah, it's such a funny scene, especially after this whole season of like almost no pike or kind of humiliated pike that again he is just like in the room getting the smell of his apartment dragged and getting his recipes <laughs> dragged and like just having to grin and bear it because this is so high stakes for spock <laughs> yeah pike's life and his choices and his quarters are just collateral damage for this <laughs> it, really, it really is so out in the uh, shuttle, they start their strafing run on the anomaly and they cannot establish contact through this space butthole the way they want to. They're talking about like shearing forces and like trying to wedge the shuttle into the event horizon. And 
it's dangerous as fart, but <laughs> to save Spock, they're going to have to do it. So the three of them unanimously decide to do the most dangerous thing, which is go right into the space butthole. Do you think it's unanimous? Some pretty enormous peer pressure at work here. And this is like one of those do we do it guys kind of things where like by saying you're not in, you're really telling them to turn the shuttle back around and take you all the way back. What kind of wing women would Uhura and Ortegas be if they didn't help Nurse Chapel at a time like this? I'm not saying they're not wing women. I'm saying that there's some pretty strong peer pressure happening here. I think Ortegas peer pressured herself. I think Uhura was 100% down for the cause, and Ortegas was like, I have a fucking reputation to uphold. Let's do the damn thing. Yeah. So they go in. Hold on to your butts. And at dinner, Spock's got to go in on that teapot. Yeah. And the faces that Spock makes at Pike, the faces that Amanda Grayson makes at him, when T'Pring grabs Spock's hand after and hurts him, and like the expression on Spock's face during that, like amazing nonverbal <laughs> action in this scene that yeah. I just love. The scene is so tense. And I was like writing in my notes and it, like it, th there's something about the irony of a tea ceremony being really tense in particular mm -hmm. <laughs> that I really liked. Because the context of tea is almost always chill. Like the chillest thing, like yeah. it's, it's like associated with apex chillness and uh -huh. this is like the opposite. <laughs> it was so great. T'Pring has to whisper a couple of course adjustments for him as he's pouring the hot water over the stuff to make the tea. What's the coffee that pours like this? Is this Kyoto-style tea that's oh, yeah. coming down through the works? Yeah, but I think Kyoto-style is even slower, right? Yeah. I really like this contraption. I did too. Sell that on fucking StarTrek.com. Yeah. Or we'll sell it on Podshop.biz. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, do it or we will. <laughs> Podshop.biz. Podshop.biz? In uh, the shuttle, they arrive in interdimensional space, which sort of looks like a kaleidoscope town. They're in this kind of formless void. It's very colorful and sparkly. It's also being hotboxed. They meet Blue, who is smoking just absolutely massive clouds. Are you yellow? No. I am blue. This scene made me uncomfortable because I, I'll admit it, I thought it was yellow at first. And uh, confronting my own inherent possible interdimensional racism is a hard moment for me. I look forward to your quad box apology. <laughs> yeah, I'm drafting that up now as we speak. Just stress that you're ready to start listening. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. Man, the Kharkovians are such bureaucratic asswipes, aren't they? <laughs> They're not so bad. They just have rules. No one's on the same level. That's the problem. They need to get on the same level. It's nice to have rules, but not if the rules are impenetrable and unknowable to everybody else. It's like, 
why the fuck is my class Y boarding pass not eligible for a complimentary upgrade? You know, I don't know what a class Y is versus a class D. That wasn't an option when I was buying it. It isn't just the rules, but it's the inflexibility of those rules, right? Right. Because not yellow, blue (laughs) makes the case that I fixed him. Like we all fixed him. And not only did we fix him, the comment period is over. Yeah. But we didn't know about the comment period. And so they're like, okay, bring us yellow because we want to speak to your manager. And clearly yellow Mm -hmm. is blue's manager. At this point in the scene, they're at yellow heads, I would say. (laughs) They really are. It's so irritating to need a thing and to confront this construction, like this vernacular construction that is so impenetrable. Yeah. When it would be so much easier to have a human interaction with another person where you're just plainly stating what you need and what you're trying to accomplish. (laughs) Oh, that is like a really disappointing part of modern life. Yeah. It would be better were it not that way. Uh, if it is to be said, so it be so it is. But uh, we got to cut back to Pike's quarters where they have flipped over the hourglass and T'Pril starts laying into Spock over turning his back on Vulcan and T'Pring by having his complicated Starfleet schedule. And they just fucking light his ass up. Like sands in the hourglass, these are the airing of grievances. (laughs) And uh, when they get done, Spock, like, excuses himself and goes and, like, screams into a towel and stuff. I thought this was, like, some of Ethan Peck's best work. Yeah. He's so limited physically by Spock, ordinarily, to see him bust out of those limitations as an actor (laughs) and, like, put them on display was a real treat. Yeah, it really was. These grievances are tough because the parents disagree with how harsh they can and should be to their children. Yeah. But like there's something inarguable about the grievances leveled against Spock. Like, hey, you're never around. Can't argue with that. No. And choosing Starfleet over your responsibilities to T'Pring also seems pretty difficult to argue with. And that's going to be what makes it so hard emotionally for him. It's not just that he's being criticized by people whose approval he cares about getting. It's that they're right, maybe? Yeah. There's not a part where they flip the hourglass back over and you get to defend yourself. You know, there's no rebuttal in the ritual. Yeah, why isn't that a part of this? (laughs) No, it's about, because it's about hearing it from somebody else's perspective and endeavoring to It's about improve. taking it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So um back in pocket dimension, Nurse Chapel learns that Spock moved the shielding in the shuttle to specifically protect her at great risk to himself when they were crashing. On a shuttle you can there's the like this little dial mm-hmm. on the dashboard. You can do like symmetrical shields and then uh it's complicated shield. <laughs> and that was the setting Spock chose. What does that mean? Right. That's a really intense thing to learn. And 
she's trying to make the case like fix him he's my friend and there's you know yellow is pushing back with it we don't just let anyone ask us to fix someone like you have to be closer than friends to do that or have their power of attorney (laughs) and um this is sort of a end of the fifth element moment where chapel has to like say out loud the thing that she's feeling in her heart and it is hard to do that even when ortegas and uhura have turned around so that they're not looking at her during christine chapel has cut miriam y incisions into a million different birdies (laughs) in her distinguished career she's seen guts and guts and guts. She's seen probably the grossest shit you can ever imagine. For Uhura and Ortegas to have to turn around <laughs> so that she doesn't see their faces in order to deliver this truth about herself, I thought was great. Yeah. yeah. Like there was something so difficult about that. She could not look at them during. <laughs> I love that take. <laughs> So express this, she does, and back in the quarters, like Pike kind of helps Spock out by putting some breaks on the ritual, slowing it down by suggesting a game of charades. Like on the one hand, like I respect Pike for like trying to help Spock out and trying to find a way to slow the proceedings down to give Nurse Chapel time to fix Spock. On the other hand, like it doesn't seem like to Prill's energy is I'm not going to look this up later and when T'Pril looks up what charades is after (laughs) I get home and find out it is not a sacred human ritual this moment was written by theater nerds like that's the (laughs) only way you get to this moment and I'll say this I would rather have my marriage dissolve than to play charades under these conditions (laughs) I wouldn't do it I couldn't do it I couldn't see how the episode was going to give us the promise of the premise here. Like, yeah, they named yeah. the episode Charades. I was like, is Spock going to, do, like, you know, try to spell out Casablanca or something? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fortunately, we get saved by the doorbell, right? We do. The vitamins come just in time. And instead of what Spock needs to turn Vulcan, it's... Dr. Mbenga's green juice. <laughs> and he fucking tears Savin and Tapril <laughs> apart. <laughs> Shoot him! <laughs> I thought that the scene where Nurse Chapel was administering this hypospray to Spock was incredible because... yeah. It is so loaded. Like, she is saving him. She is putting him back the way she wants him. But at the same time, furthering his means of continuing on a path that leads directly away from her. It feels like a form of lobotomy, doesn't it? And it's, like, heartbreaking for that reason. Yeah. And the moment she decides to jab him is, like, the exact moment that he intends to, like disclose the big truth she doesn't want to hear it yeah great moment great moment he now can actually mind meld so 
he goes back into the room and mind melds his mom. It's a memory from going to school back in the day. Nothing major, but that's not the requirement. So Dupring's uh, family hand him the W. How about Dupring coming to the defense of Amanda and Spock here? I thought this was a great moment for her. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. Like, do you have to shit on everything, Mom? <laughs> God, yeah. They did the thing. The ritual has been completed. Your assessment is not required. Like, it kind of seems like a moment where Tapril and Savin are going to turn out to be okay. Like, you know, didn't think you could do it, but great work. But it's this kind of backhanded compliment about overcoming his handicap. and. He takes great umbrage with this and de-ears himself. How surprised were you that human ears were under the Vulcan ears? I thought for sure he was going to pull off those ears and his Vulcan ears would have returned. (laughs) What if he had just like little nubbins, like they're starting to grow back, but they haven't, you know. (laughs) Yeah, like like a succulent growing a new thing. (laughs) Yeah, and... You know, he just lights them up. He makes them feel like the assholes they are because they consider humans less than and he hits them with the truth that like to have fooled you while I was genetically human is a sign of my true strength. Well, I think one aspect I really like about this scene is that he makes it more about his mother than he does about himself. Yeah. And that her humanity doesn't make her less at all. Like he comes in defense of her almost more than he does himself. Yeah. Like she lives on Vulcan and fucking eats plates of shit from you people all the time. And yeah, she still does it because of her strength. It's interesting the look you get on Tapring's face at the end of this confrontation because I really wondered whether she was upset because of the outburst or because of the conflict or whatever. But in the scene that follows, it's clear that her issue was that she was the last to know about this. Yeah. Like yet again, this was a thing that Spock went through without her. And it sucks to be someone's special person and to not be in on the struggle. And I really felt for Tapring here. Like, She doesn't believe that he trusts her for whatever reason, and that seems sufficient enough to call for a break in the relationship. It's a tough moment because you totally saw it from his side when he decided to not stress her out with this new information right before the ceremony. And now you totally see it from her side that this is another violation of her trust and another reason she will always wonder about him. Yeah. So with their relationship on pause, we cut over to Nurse Chapel having a follow-up interview with the guy from the Vulcan Science Academy where he tells her that uh, if she would like to waste her time, she can try applying again. And she <laughs> she absolutely fucking teabags him in this moment. <laughs> She's like, oh, you're interested in archaeological medicine? How about this fucking shit? I just flew into a hole. And archaeology medicine with somebody named Yellow, who was baked as fuck. I like this realization that both 
Chapel and Spot go through, the idea that I may be better without you or this or whatever I've been struggling with for so long. Yeah. Pike finally has someone to share a glass of brown liquor with. Yeah, he's not pouring those two glasses into one after this. He's probably (laughs) pouring a second for both of them. Yeah. Has a nice hang with Spock. I hope we get more of this, like, Boston legal style denouement on the rooftop where (laughs) two of our favorite characters are just sort of toasting the episode at the end. (laughs) Give me more of this. That's fun. Yeah. I also liked the scene with Spock and Amanda where he apologizes for having been so self-centered. Like, we all go through this as we become adults. Like, part of childhood is being super self-centered, like, and failing to recognize the struggles of people around you because being a kid is really hard and confusing as fuck. And there's a moment when you become an adult and you see a thing that your parents had to deal with from their perspective and you realize what a tough road they had their own damn self. Right. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't excuse any of the fucking bullshit they did. No, it doesn't. And we'll never forgive them for that. (laughs) No, ever. (laughs) (laughs) And then we end on a very steamy sex scene with Spock and Christine Chapel. Yeah, I didn't know a loot could be used like that. Yeah, pretty exciting. Very. Spock's plucking all the strings. (laughs) (laughs) Did you like this episode, Adam? I think to like the episode means that this ending needed to hit for you. And I really did feel the catharsis of the moment of Spock and Chapel finally letting the emotional dam break and having cover to do it. Like, they couldn't do this up until now. Spock was attached. Chapel knew this. But I thought a lot about how I also didn't want the tension to go away. Like, I think the show's done a really good job at spacing them in an interesting fashion and, like, maintaining that. And I don't want this to turn into the last season of The Office where the conflict of the day is Chapel and Spock's finding a babysitter or whatever. Like, (laughs) I like the original flavors of these characters. I hope that they continue to create interesting stories if they are romantically involved. The episode has before the ending, I thought was super solid. And I think it's because of the strengths of the ensemble. Again, not a huge Anson Mount episode, but we get his seasoning on scenes that really make them great. We get Giasandu. I feel like it diminishes her to begin by saying how distractingly pretty she is because she is... I think really, really funny. And she's funny in this episode too. The way she grapples with what's going on seems like very lived in and relatable for being in a culture that is not either of those things. Like she somehow (laughs) performs that magic trick that like makes you feel for her and actually agree with her decision at the end. Yeah. And if we're getting alien of the week or whatever, a very different and interesting kind of alien than we've gotten before and a novel solution to a problem remains to be seen whether or not uhura and ortegas and chapel are in trouble 
for this though. <laughs> like, I understand we were like nearing an hour. We probably couldn't have that scene. Maybe that scene was cut out, but wow, you talk about freelancing. Yeah. Pike, maybe time to pull the reins on the crew a little bit when Spock's taking the ship out and the rest of the bridge crew are, are stealing shuttles and doing this kind of freelancing. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I think uh, in totality, I did like the episode a lot with that note about like what happens from here and being maybe a little curious about that. What about you? I totally agree with your assessment about the end. Like I am ultimately disappointed in this episode because I've always shipped Chortegas Mm -hmm. and this seems to further foreclose on that. But um, yeah, like I'm also moderately excited because I think that when you get your Sam and Diane characters together, it's a big Rubicon for a show to cross. Yeah. And I think that this writer's room is good enough to pull something off with this in a way that I'm kind of curious to see. They absolutely are. Like, there's no evidence that they can't make this work. I trust them. As long as Paramount doesn't rip the fucking rug out from underneath a (laughs) successful production. Yeah. I'd be really shocked if they did that to this show, but uh, who knows? Well, Adam, do you want to go check on our Priority One inbox, see if there's anything shocking in there? Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. I've steered my shuttle right into the event horizon (laughs) of our first Priority One message, Ben. It's of a promotional nature. That message goes like this. Trapped in escape pods... In the aftermath of the Battle of Wolf 359, four Starfleet officers band together to stay alive as they search for other survivors. Check out 359, the Star Trek fan film production by Dave Ellis that briefly gives Bill and Wendy their own ships. Grants Adam and Ben their wish of being blown out of an airlock on Star Trek. See it at ellisstudios359.com. Thanks again to Uxbridge Shimoda for playing in our sandbox with us. That's Dave Ellis. Thanks for uh, getting a P1, Dave Ellis. Yeah, we were uh, we lent our, our vocal uh, talents, and I do the finger flexions with the <laughs> with the Vulcan salute mm-hmm. around the word talent to a couple of characters, and then Bill and Wendy did as well. So, uh, yeah, we're all in 359. So you can check it out at ellisstudios359.com. I always have a hard time reading two lowercase l's together. Do you? Um, Like, I can't tell how many there are. Maybe I need an eye exam. Yeah, I would get that looked at. (laughs) All right, that's probably fine. Adam, our next P1 is from Kevin McCoy. It's to Uxbridge Shimoda Quality Control. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, jeez. goes like this. I recently bought a P1 on Greatest Gen celebrating how great its editing and quality has gotten. Today I'm here for kind of the opposite reason. I bought this P1 on Greatest Trek because Ben's delivery of that pun at the end of Strange New World Season 2 Episode 1, they haven't gone away, made me do an actual spit take. Incredible podcastry. Thank you. Incredible moment, Ben. Yeah. Nice work by you. We were all here for it. (laughs) Yeah. Yet another great 
comedy moment from you that I probably just ignored and sped past <laughs> in order to get to my own punchline <laughs> when I really should have been a more generous podcast co-host. But oh. that's the thing. We've got, a, we got Kevin McCoy and people like Kevin uh, to take note. We don't deserve you guys, friends of DeSoto. And we don't deserve your priority one messages, but if you've got one that you really, really want to send, send it to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and uh, set it up whenever you want. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? I'm going to give it to Una for this episode. She really doesn't do much. Like she's in that checking out the crime scene scene briefly, but mostly what she got to do in this episode is be in the hang at the bar that we see repeated a couple of times where like, we didn't even talk about like Spock flipping out on Sam Kirk for having a messy work area uh, in a McLaughlin group. But part of that montage was contrasting Spock as a Vulcan in a hang where everybody's laughing at a joke versus Spock as a human in a hang where everybody's laughing at a joke. And I really liked that Una was like mainly in this episode to laugh her ass off. What a great day at the office. Yeah. For Rebecca Romaine, right? <laughs> I know. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, so I think she's going to be my Edward Larkin today. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to make mine Spock for those scenes with Sam Kirk. Like, I saw myself on this show maybe as deeply as I ever have. (laughs) Like a man who just could not deal with someone else's lack of fastidiousness. Mr. Kirk, clean your mess. But I think just generally, Ethan Peck, this episode is such a fucking condor spreading his wings like to (laughs) fully fill the frame of this show. Like I really enjoyed watching him go in all the places. I think that's part of what made me feel so sad about the moment chapel. Like, let's just call it chapel sacrifices this Spock in order for the previous one to live. Right. And I thought for, a moment that we might be sacrificing a big plus to the show as well in that moment. Hmm. So, yeah, I love that Spock. RSVP, that Spock. RSVP, HS. There goes a real one. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's going to be my Edward Larkin this time around. Yeah. Great Larkin, Adam. Hey, you too. Do we have any warning boise? Coming in over the transom. Oh, let me check. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Ben, we always read a warning bois at the end of an episode of Greatest Trek. And the reason why is that messages like these do a, a great job at filtration. Mm. They get the word out about Greatest Trek being a great show that people will really love. But only certain types of people. Yeah. Our people. Our people. Friend of DeSoto type people. Ben, I'm going to drop two on you. Okay. And these come from Apple Podcast Reviews. Okay. All right. This is an event horizon that I do not dare go. (laughs) But Wendy dug these out, and I was absolutely delighted by these two five-star reviews. Here's the first. Headline, greatness. 
Here's the body. You guys make some really stressful days bearable, and I hope you know what an impact you have on people's lives. If there's a show to support, it's this one, so please do so. Keep up the good work, guys. Oh, Isn't that nice? That's really nice. Here's another five-star review. Title, My Favorite Podcast. Barty? Ben and Adam are the best podcast hosts in the world. I could listen to them talk oh. about and riff on literally anything. <laughs> They can make a show about rewatching episodes of Meet the Press from 40 years ago and still make it entertaining. <laughs> I don't know if we could do that, but... How about that? We could try. Five-star reviews are a great way to uh, elevate this show and the shows that we do up in the algorithm. Yeah. And as everyone knows, we worship at the altar of the algorithm <laughs> in order to ensure our survival. So... Uh, if you're able, we'd really appreciate a five-star review if you haven't left one already. And we appreciate the two reviews that I just read on the show. Really great. We sure do. If you're uh, newly uh, using Apple Podcasts because of the end of Stitcher or whatever, now would be a great time to go in and uh, leave reviews for the shows that you like because it really helps us. If you're struggling to figure out what you might write, just maybe write something about how we could uh, do a rewatch of an old news show and make it entertaining. <laughs> Your choice. Whatever yeah. news show you like. Totally up to you. Uh, well, with all that said, we're going to throw the keys to the pod car to the editor of this episode, Ryan Whedon. Take it away, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica and produced by Wendy Pretty. This episode was edited by Ryan Whedon. Season 2, Episode 6 of Strange New Worlds is titled Lost in Translation. You can hear the logline for that episode at the end of Monday's Greatest Generation. And you can hear Ben and Adam's review of that episode in this feed next Friday. Adam Ragusea created the original music for the show. You can check out his podcast and YouTube cooking channel by searching for Adam Ragusea. Special thanks to Nick Dittmore, who created the artwork for the show, and to Bill Tilly, who manages the At Greatest Trek social media accounts on Instagram, Twitter, and Mastodon. Give those accounts a follow and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. Big thanks to everyone who supports the show financially. If you want to pitch in, you can do so at MaximumFun.org join. And you can always support the show for free by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or spread the word by telling a friend. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Greatest Trek. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network. Of artist-owned shows. Supported. Directly. By you.